Hey guys, welcome back to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. This is our last episode for the year. We just wanted to thank you so much for hanging out with us this year, and we really hope you enjoyed the podcast and are learning more about Jesus. If you want to hang out with us next year, you can keep up with us through our website at lascasascommunitychurch.com or on Facebook, Las Casas Community Church. We hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. way today and the reason why it's not that I just enjoy doing it this way but if we're looking at pictures of things then it really helps a lot right (laughs) so um, we're talking about the ten plagues actually we're not going to actually talk about every single one because last time we talked about if you'll remember um, the Nile being turned to blood and how that that was against um, the God, yeah, right here, um, the God of the Nile, his name was Hoppy. <laughs> Hoppy. I guess you would say Hoppy because most languages other than English, English says ah, but other languages don't. They say ah, so Hoppy. Although you would think he would be the frog, but he's not. <laughs> okay. So last time we looked at the first plague, the Nile turned into blood. Uh, We saw it was the face, it was in the face of the Egyptian god Hopi, who was the god of the Nile and also known as the father of the gods. It would be like God to go after the first one that's supposed to be the father. Uh, He was supposed to be the one that kept the cosmos and the world in order. The god of Israel turned the Nile into blood for seven days. The number of completion, letting all know that he had complete power and authority over the father of the gods and over all the other gods of Egypt. Because each of the plagues are in the face of an Egyptian god. Now, why do you think God would do that? He's targeting each one to show that he's greater than they are. Who is he showing? He's showing everybody. He's, he's showing, showing everyone. And the Israelites. Yes. The Egyptians. Now, do you think some of the Egyptians came out of uh, Egypt with the Israelites, having become believers? Yeah, I think there were some. I really do. But think about how long had the Israelites been in Egypt? 400 years. That's a long time to assimilate into a society and into their religion, right? Usually it takes at least three generations, but I mean, we're talking, we we looked actually at how long they were. Their ages were like 133, 137, and then another 133. So they were long lived. (laughs) 400 years, um, they were well steeped into Egyptian religion, society, all that. So God, to bring them out of Egypt, he was going to have to prove to the Israelites he was greater than those gods. There wasn't anybody in the population of the Israelites that was continuing the teachings of God. Mm-hmm. They would have automatically picked up the Egyptian. Right. Do you remember, where did Joseph put them? into Goshen Goshen uh, and the thing about Goshen is it was the closest to Canaan 
So he was trying to keep them as far away from Egyptian society as possible because they didn't like shepherds. But at the same time, he was trying to keep them away from the Egyptian gods and closer to home. Well, by this point, they had grown so numerous, they weren't probably just all fitting in Goshen anymore. Um, they were coming closer and closer to Egyptian society all the time. So that's kind of where we're picking up. Sound good? All right. So let's look at uh, Exodus. And we're looking at ex uh, Exodus 8, 1 through 15. We're going to talk about the plague of frogs. Who was that guy again? Uh, heck it. Who made this lovely? Miss <laughs> Penny. Didn't she do good? Get us coming the bubbles. Well, I mean, Suzanne isn't enough to draw you in. I'm trying to entice you with a meal. If you feed them, they'll come. That's right. Possibly, depending on what you feed them. One through eight. Uh, one through fifteen. Oh, you have the whole point. A plague of frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. They will come up out of the river, into your palace, even into your bedroom, and onto your bed. They will enter the houses of all of your officials and your people. They will even jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, your people, and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, raise the staff in your hand over all the rivers, canals, and ponds of Egypt, and bring up frogs from all over the land. So Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the whole land. But the magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic. They too caused frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, Plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. You set the time, Moses replied. Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile River. Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said. All right, Moses replied, it will be as you have said, then you will know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile River. So Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's palace, and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had inflicted on Pharaoh. And the Lord did just what Moses had, what Moses had predicted. The frogs in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields all died. The Egyptians piled them into great heaps, and a terrible stench filled the land. <coughs> Pharaoh saw that relief had come. He became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. Okay. <sighs> let me let me show you. Look at this. It looks like a frog face. I know. So can you tell <laughs> who that was in the face of? <laughs> yeah. So many of Egypt's gods had the face of an animal associated with what that god was to rule. God sent the plague of frogs in defiance of Hecate, 
the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and renewal or resurrection. Hecate was pictured as a frog or had the head of a frog and the body of a woman. That's a weird looking goddess, isn't it? Yeah. So check this out. You see it in the, the hieroglyph, like mm -hmm. the relief? So the Egyptian religion taught that she was the wife of, of Kanu, their god who created people on his potter's wheel. Then the Egyptians believed Hecate breathed the breath of life into them before they were placed into their mother's womb. Thus, Hecate was thought to be the goddess of childbirth as the one who was the giver of life to a newly created child. The women would wear amulets of Hecate when approaching their time of childbirth for her protection. Adding to this, those who were servants of Hecate were her priestesses trained in midwifery. Hecate was also associated with Egypt's mummification process and was seen to help the person as they died and were resurrected in the afterlife. Pharaoh's magicians could mimic this wonder in producing frogs, but it's interesting to note that they were not able to take them away, again, proving whose God was more powerful. But, you know, one of the things that's even cooler is so Moses and Aaron, they asked Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh was asking, okay, can you pray that these be taken away, right? Because he was realizing, okay, God was more powerful. And so then they said, okay, so when do you want them to be taken away? And he's the one, Pharaoh is, that said, okay, tomorrow. I would have said today, <laughs> right? But he didn't. And so then he said, well, it'll be according to your word. But that proves even more, okay, whose God was more powerful? Just, I mean, the God of Israel. Yeah, because the thing is, is not only could he take it away, but then he could even control when it was going to be taken away. Right? Yeah. So, I've got a foot, okay, go oh, go ahead. I've got a footnote in mind about the Second plague was the plague of frogs. The Egyptians gave special reverence to amphibians because of their ability to live in two different worlds. Egyptians were deeply concerned with survival in the next world after death. God showed that the frogs had no special hold on life. <clears throat> this plague is sometimes said to have been a natural result of whatever happened to make the Nile uninhabitable. However, the extent of the plague was more than natural result. You know, honestly, if you think about it, you can see why they would think amphibiously. Because you think in childbirth, okay, they live in water, and then they come and they live on land and breathe, you know. Right. Um, and then and in death, they believed um, what they would do with some of their officials especially is they would entomb them in the Nile. They would kind of put them into the Nile. Um, yeah, and and that was to keep um, people from, like, their graves. Now, of course, they didn't do that to the pharaohs. You know, they had the pyramids for that, and, and big tombs and tomb raiders came and all that. Um, but that makes a little more sense when you think about it that way, especially if they didn't know, you know. Well, I love those pictures. It shows that. Thing holding like a cross. What is 
that I think it, it's it's like a ruling thing. Yeah, it's what the pharaohs. Mm -hmm. The pharaohs. I don't know exactly. I'm not just real big into Egyptian uh, mythology. That's what I call it. <laughs> Egyptian like history is pretty cool. Well, and they have quite a bit. And and the thing that's interesting about all of the different ones. Uh, they base it off of something, you know, and that's where, do you remember when we talked about um, Nimrod and the Tower of Babel and, and all of that, and we were talking about uh, where the basis came from um, Nimrod, they, okay, how many of y'all have heard of the Epic of Gilgamesh? Okay. Well, the Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the oldest uh, writings there is. And what it's about, basically, is there's this guy, and he is trying to find um, a way to live forever, eternal life. And so he uh, goes into the ocean and finds some plant, you know, and is trying to get the plant. But anyway, the, the thing about the, the Epic of Gilgamesh is he talks about there is this ancient man that um, had, like, eternal life, you know, and him talking to him. So what the belief is, is that who that really was about was Nimrod. And uh, Nimrod was all the time looking for um, eternal life. And they were thinking pre-flood that they had basically had that. Now, we know they didn't, but they were living like 900-something years. I mean, that's a long time, right? And so the thing is, is Nimrod was uh, believing he's either the grandson or the great-grandson of Noah. So he, Noah was still alive by the time he was born. He would have met Noah. And so that's what the Epic of Gilgamesh is actually based off of in talking about this eternal person from a different time would be Noah, you know. And so when I'm, I'm saying, so there's a great flood in the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, it's all these different things. And so what I'm saying is a lot of the old ancient myths were based off of things that actually happened. That's what I'm saying. But they twisted it. Yeah, it's not quite right, um, but there is a basis to it. Yes. It, it, well, one of the things that I heard one time, and I was like, oh, that's so true. Um, the best way that the enemy finds to tell a lie is to sandwich it between two truths, mm -hmm. because it's harder to recognize in that. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Were the pyramids around back then? Actually, the Great Pyramid is supposed to be pre-flood. I could, I could show you a thing on that that's Really cool. I think that's uh -huh. really fascinating is those pyramids and how they amazingly built them. The, the Great Pyramid is far superior to the others. Far superior. The, the Great Pyramid did. 
-hmm. And the thing about it is no one knows exactly who built it. Um, some believe that it was uh, Chim. Uh, some believe it was uh, Enoch. Um, and then there's there's some other theories out there. Um, I do not think it was that. <laughs> yeah, but the thing about the Great Pyramid is uh, it has a stone case um, that is in the king's chamber that is the exact measurements of the Ark of the Covenant. It never held a, t uh, a, a body. It was never a tomb. Uh, there are passageways that mark time uh, within it, and they're accurate. Um, the, the curvature of it, it has curvature in the stone and the different things. Uh, it tells you the exact measurements of, the, of our planet Earth. I mean, it, it just is so exact. How did people have yeah. the understanding to do that? You know, yeah. there's also the theory that everybody has 100% use of their brain. Right. Well, we do not have that. That is true because and we lost the water canopy. Yeah. So Adam and Eve had 100% use of their brain, and I'm sure their kids and grandkids mm -hmm. did. So they was brilliant people. Very. Mm -hmm. The whole thing with cavemen, I look at that and I'm like, oh, that is so not an understanding that's correct. <laughs> Because they they really were way more intelligent than we are. Because we lose so much uh, a brain power from when we're born because of lack of oxygen. Do you use how much of a percentage now, like a third? Oh, no, it's like honestly, percent. Yeah, it's far less than what it used to be. <laughs> Some people even less. Yeah, yeah, not me. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I'm going to say is we looked at Noah's flood and it happened I think in the seventh chapter of Genesis I'm just looking it up there was a 2,000 year period from Adam and Eve to Noah right to the flood and then 2,000 from the flood to when Jesus come no I don't think that's quite right I think it was to Abraham it's 2,000 years from uh, Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, and then 2,000 years from him to us. I would have to disagree, but you may be right and I may okay. be wrong, but I think, because I think there are Actually, I was just looking 6, at 6,000 years old. Mm -hmm. According to biblical records. Yes. Yeah. So, and Jesus to now is 2,000. Mm -hmm. So you got 4,000 from Jesus to the beginning of the world. Mm -hmm. So somewhere in there is about this. So I thought you got two thousand more years in there. No, from Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to uh, Jesus, have, from Jesus to us. I have called Ken Ham. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, uh, Ken Ham. He's a uh, Creation Museum guy. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> I know who he is. I don't know him, but I know who he is. <laughs> All right, so let's go and look at uh, the third plague, which in some translations will say lice, and then in other translations will say gnats. Okay, this one, this is New King James, says lice. So, 
<laughs> yeah. Either way, they're nuisances, right? So somebody read uh, 16 through 19. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise your staff and strike the ground. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with his staff. Gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals. All the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. That's a lot of dust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed, and the gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. This is the finger of God, the magicians explained to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. So this is the first one where his magicians couldn't do it, and they even said, yeah, this is the finger of God. (laughs) It's too big for us. So here's the thing. Uh, Geb, I guess that's how you say that was the Egyptian god of the earth and he physically supported it. They believed he acted in the creation process of the earth. It was to the point they referred to the earth as the house of Geb. Yet by him, Pharaoh's magicians couldn't produce this plague and declared the God of Israel over their God at the dust of the earth. Uh, Geb, I forgot to call. Anyway, by saying this is the finger of God, uh, this was also the last plague that required the use of Aaron's staff. All the others came from the command of Moses. So he spoke it into being, and it was. All right, so let's look at the next plague, which is flies. Now, and it's funny because there are also some that will say it's scarab beetles, uh, which, you know, in, in, in Egyptian society, scarab is like a really big deal. But um, somebody read 20 through 32. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. And say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else you will not let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses, and Aaron said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, 
I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. <clears throat> and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Right. Well, he's hard-headed. I know. Yeah. So check this out. So if you're looking um, in the very in the 29th verse, it says Moses said to Pharaoh, "Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again in not letting the people go. Sacrifice to the Lord." Yes, when you understand uh, the Hebrew word for Pharaoh, you understand God knew that He would speak this way. God didn't cause it, but He knew it would happen from His free will. The Hebrew word uh, for Pharaoh is this. This is what it looks like. Now, check this out. I'm not going to really worry about that. But if you look at the words, so pay, that word is mouth. The pay and the hay <laughs> is mouth. And then if you look at these two letters, this is ra, which is evil. So when you're looking at Pharaoh, he has evil in his mouth. <laughs> do you get that? Isn't that interesting? Only God can do all that. He can make pictures so well, can he? <laughs> now, do you mean to show you what that looks like in Paleo-Hebrew? Because Paleo-Hebrew is picture. It's picture language. This way. Which is this one looks like this <laughs> which we would think okay is that an eye can you see that over there i'm good i don't know hebrew anyway well <laughs> this is pictures okay it's, a, it's more about pictures okay so this is a mouth okay because if it was an ie then i would put a little dot there you know for a, a pupil or an eyeball but this is a mouth okay and then um, let's see, the last letter is hey, and hey, you can draw it like this, where it's a person, and they have their hands lifted up toward God, and they're like, wow, I get it. That's what it means. Wow, revelation, look, behold. And so these two letters make up the word for mouth, which is um, a mouth that brings revelation. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, what he has is he's got the raish, and so raish is a person's head, okay? It's a head of something. It's like a chief. 
And then he's got an Ayin. And um, actually, put <laughs> that wrong button. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't I? Huh? Okay, so this is a rage. Here's the guy's head. <laughs> and then this is uh, an Ayin. And an Ayin in pictograph is this, which is an eye. So he would be, this word is a word for evil. So it's Ra. And uh, so it would be the head who sees. And it is, the thing about with Ayin, it is a spiritual sight as well as uh, a physical sight. So he is, they, it also can work for the bad. Right? Because all of the letters can either go good or bad. And it's according to how we use them. It's it's for our free will. So he is speaking evil, uh, what he is seeing out of his mouth. Does that make sense? So just the very name of the word. And that is Pharaoh. That's the word Pharaoh in Hebrew. That's what it looks like. Isn't it interesting? So, anyway, I just thought I would bring that out. So, anyway. Because we're talking about that. And he was speaking deceitfully. And so his name even says that. Okay. So, the Egyptian on his heart. Huh? It came from, yes. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's what was going with him. Right? So from the, the evil in his heart, he was speaking it forth. All right. So the flies, the plague of the flies came in defiance of the Egyptian god Hephri, um, the god of creation, with the head of a fly or a scarab beetle. Because of the scarab beetle, it rolls their dung along the ground. They saw it as a force to move things along. They connected this with the sun and believed that this fly, scarab beetle god, forced the sun to move along the sky to bring the morning. Now, isn't that funny? They made that connection? You know? You know have y'all seen pictures like in nature shows, a video of a scarab beetle? And they're like rolling a, a ball of dung. There must be some beetles in Tennessee that do that same thing because I've seen it before, but I didn't think it was a scary Dung beetles. Yeah, a dung beetles. Yeah. They do the same thing. <laughs> but that's funny that they would associate that with the sun. And that's how the sun rolled across the sky. So it's like, oh, okay. So anyway. <laughs> Um, also, because the young scarab beetles would emerge fully formed from the balls of dung that they moved, the Egyptians believed this god handled creation and rebirth with the rising sun. Even in the Egyptian language, the name Kefri came from Kefer, meaning come into being or develop. This was the first plague that did not come upon those who trusted in the God of Israel, only on the Egyptians. Thus, it was the first to fully show the complete separation of the God of Israel's protection over theirs. Amen? All right. 
one thing about this, this is so foreign to us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's why I brought in pictures because it kind of does help. You can see the guy's head is like is a scary beetle. I mean, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's look at uh, chapter nine and somebody read verses um, one through seven. Go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses, tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they can worship me. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock, your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats with a deadly plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelite and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of the Israel animals, Israel's animals will die. The Lord has already set the time for the plague to begin. He has declared that he will strike the land tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he had said. The next morning, all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but the Israelites didn't lose a single animal. Pharaoh sent his officials to investigate, and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal. But even so, Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn, and he still refused to let the people go. So this really hurt them economically, right? This is the first one that's really that bad. So Hathor, the Egyptian goddess of love and protection, had the head or horns of a cow with the sun in between her horns. According to BerianToBerian.com, she was one of the most important and popular deities throughout the history of ancient Egypt. Hathor was worshipped for royal, by royalty and common people alike, in whose tombs she is depicted as the mistress of the West, welcoming the dead into the next life. They also say this plague affected the Egyptian by Egyptians by creating a huge economic disaster in areas of food, transportation, military supplies, farming, and economic goods that were produced by these livestock. God gave Pharaoh an entire day to let the Israelites go before bringing the calamity to the Egyptians, but Pharaoh refused. How many of these plagues have uh, God has told them, okay, I'm going to bring them tomorrow? So he's giving him time. To, to let them go, but every time, what does it say at the end, every single time so far? So he hardened his heart. And we talked about this last time. In some, some places, it will say God hardened his heart. And we were talking about, no, that is not what that means at all. That is not what the Hebrew was saying, because it was Hazach, uh, Lev. And so Hazach means uh, he strengthened, and then lev in Hebrew is heart. And so it could also be translated as uh, his desire, his will. So what God did is he strengthened what he already wanted to do, what was his will, what his desire was. Um, he did not make him. He did have a choice in the matter. He didn't change it. He just reinforced what he was going to do. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. I see that cross. Yes. And that's what we were talking about. I, I think it, I think it is an A-N-K-H. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know exactly what it means, to be honest. It's just a sign of power. 
Well, yeah, because you are seeing it in each of these pictures. All over a key of light is an ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic symbol used to represent the world or life. And uh, by extension, as a symbol of life itself. Okay. So it's a key of life, is what she was saying. But that's what this one is. All right. So let's look at uh, the next plague, which is boils. I don't know if y'all have ever had a boil. I had one. Yeah, they're not fun. I think of that every time I get a boil. I think about this one and lots. He got boils all over. Yes. Could you imagine having more than one? No. All over your body. Oh. Boils isn't as bad, but festering boils, that's just. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so somebody read uh, Exodus 9, 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses toss it into the air while Pharaoh watches. The ashes will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, causing festering boils to break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a brick kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. As Pharaoh watched, Moses threw the soot into the air, and boils broke out on people and animals alike. Even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and just as the Lord had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. So evidently the Israelites didn't suffer with that. Right. It, it's not describing them at all. I think it's very interesting, though, that the magicians couldn't even stand because the boils were so bad on them, you know, because they were the ones that had been so defiant, right? You want to see this? Oh, oh. it's going to be. I was expecting well, I know. So, yeah, unexpected. So the boils came from, uh, came against Isis, the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So according to the Department of Statistics at Rice University, here is what was going on here. Unannounced, the sixth Egyptian plague is given for the first time directly attacking the Egyptian people themselves. Being instructed by the Lord, Moses took ashes from the furnace of affliction and threw them into the air. As the dust from the ashes blew all over Egypt, it settled on man and beast alike in the form of boils and sores. As with the previous two, throughout the remaining Egyptian plagues, the division is drawn between the Egyptians and the children of Israel as God gives protection to his covenant people. The severity of the judgment of God has now become personal, as it is actually felt by the people themselves. Cleanliness being paramount in the Egyptian society, this plague pronounces the people unclean. The magicians who have been seen throughout the previous plagues are unable to perform ceremonially rituals to their Egyptian gods and goddesses in the unclean, in their this unclean state, not allowing them to even stand before Pharaoh. They are seen in the scriptural account no more. It is great to notice the contrast shown as Moses and Aaron are the only ones left standing in front of Pharaoh with the one true God as their support. 
is the the thing on her head. Oh, the Parkinson's asleep. I don't know. I don't know. It says take for yourselves um, handfuls of ashes from a furnace. And so I don't know if it was a specific furnace. I, I don't know. They didn't get a warning this time. Apparently not. He didn't say tomorrow. Yeah, not tomorrow. Yeah, this one was, yeah, okay. We're getting past that, and it's personal. <laughs> and each time, could they have changed their mind? Yeah. They could have every time, but didn't. But, but it doesn't talk about them looking that like it has some yeah, not, not this day, time. You know, or something. No, so did they keep that? I don't know. Yeah, and Pharaoh's not asking. So, I mean, not yet anyway. Let's keep going through and see what happens. So look at the uh, the seventh play. Somebody read 13 through 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, This is what the Lord of the, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so you, you so they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. By now I could have lifted my hands and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. But I have spared you. For a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. But you still lorded over my people and refused to let them go. So tomorrow at this time, I will send a hailstorm more devastating than any in all the history of Egypt. <clears throat> Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls. Some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord had said. They quickly brought their servants and livestock in from the field, but those who paid no attention to the word of the Lord left theirs out in the open. And the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward the sky, so hail may fall on the people, the livestock, and all the plants throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flash toward the earth. The Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that, with such devastating hail and continuous lightning. It left all of Egypt in ruins. The hail struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hail was the region of Goshen, where the people of Israel lived. Then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he confessed. The Lord is the righteous one, and... My people and I are wrong. Please beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. All right, Moses replied. As soon as I leave the city, I will lift my hands and pray to the Lord. Then the thunder and hail will stop, and you will know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. All the flax and barley were ruined by the hail because the barley had formed heads and the flax was budding. But the wheat and the emmer wheat were spared because they had not yet sprouted from the ground. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and went out of the city. When he lifted his hands to the Lord, the thunder and hail stopped and the downpour ceased. 
But when Pharaoh saw the rain, hail, and thunder stopped, he and his officials sinned again, and Pharaoh again became stubborn. Because his heart was hard, Pharaoh refused to let the people leave, just as the Lord had predicted with Moses. So he said at first, okay, I'm going to let him go as long as it was still coming down. But when it stopped, he changed his mind. All that reading for him to do the same thing. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So this plague came in the face of the Egyptian goddess of the sky, Newt. Again, according to the Department of Statistics of Rice University, here is more information. Again, warning is given before the enactment of the plague takes place. Pharaoh is warned of the impending doom that will be faced if he does not listen to the Lord and forget his own Egyptian gods and goddesses. Hail of unspeakable size and ability to destroy would rain down from the sky and turn to fire as it hit the ground. The Lord in showing Pharaoh that is showing Pharaoh that there is none like him in the earth allows those who are willing to hear his word and do as he commands to be saved. A division is now felt between the Egyptians and the form of those uh, converted to the Lord as shown by their obedience and willingness to escape to the protection of their houses. Similarly, we are warned to make our houses a place of refuge from the world today. We have been warned. Interestingly enough, the crops that were destroyed by the hail consisted of flax and barley, which were ripening in the fields. These two particular crops were not the mainstay of their diet, but were used more specifically for their clothing and libations, which would be like their alcoholic drinks. This destruction would make their life uncomfortable. But as far as affecting their food supply, the wheat still survived. So God had mercy. That is what it's saying. Um, The wheat still survived. This gave the Egyptians still another chance to turn to the one true God and forsake their own Egyptian gods and goddesses, thus showing his mercy and grace even more. So even in the whole thing of judgment, he is still holding back and having mercy for the Egyptians, right? Well, he's patient. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) It explains the next slide, though. (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) So let's go to the next one. Um, So somebody read Exodus 10, 1 through 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn, so I can display my miraculous signs among them. I've also done it so you can tell your children and your grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs I displayed among them. And so you will know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. How long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, watch out, for tomorrow I will bring a swarm of locusts on your country. They will cover the land so that you won't be able to see the ground. They will devour what little is left of your crops. After the hailstorm, including all the trees growing in the fields, they will over, overrun your palaces and the homes of your officials and all the houses in Egypt. Never in the history of Egypt have your, have your ancestors seen a plague like this one. And with that, Moses turned and left Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him, How long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the man go to worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that Israel, that Egypt lies in ruins? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, he said to them, go and worship the Lord your God. But who exactly will be going with you? Moses replied, we will all go, young and old, our sons and daughters and our flocks and our herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh restored retorted, I'm sorry, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan, never. Only the men may go and worship the Lord since that is what you requested. The Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. Then the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the land of Egypt to bring on the locusts let them cover the land and destroy every plant that survived the hailstorm. So Moses raised his staff over Egypt, and the Lord caused an east wind to blow over the land all that day and through the night. When morning arrived, the east wind had brought the locusts, and the locusts swarmed over the whole land of Egypt, settling in dense swarms from one end of the country to the other. It was the worst locust plague in Egyptian history. And there has never been another one like it. When the locusts covered the whole country and darkened the land, they devoured every plant in the fields and all the fruit of the tree, trees. Page. Sorry. Pages. That had survived the hailstorm. Not a single leaf was left on the trees and plants throughout the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you, he confessed. Forgive, forgive my sin for just this once and plead with the Lord your God to take away this death from me. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and pleaded with the Lord. The Lord responded by shifting the wind and the strong west wind blew the locusts into the Red Sea. Not a single locust remained in all the land of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again, so he refused to let the people go. All right. So the wheat and the spell that had remained didn't remain anymore, right? Gone. <laughs> yep, it was gone. You know, not long ago, uh, it was on one of them Muslim holidays or whatever, where a bunch of locusts had come. Remember that? Anybody else hear that? Here, I remember. Yeah, it was long ago. Ramadan or one of those things, and a bunch of locusts came. Did you say anything here in Tennessee? No, uh, over there in Israel. Uh, I'll look it up as y'all are reading or something. But it was. So, uh, Set, who is the Egyptian god of storms and disorder, could not protect the Egyptians from the locusts that came from the sky in this plague. From Alcation.com, we read, or we learn, still Pharaoh would not listen to the message of the Lord. 
Still, he relies on his own Egyptian gods and goddesses. The eighth plague issued by the Lord had an even greater purpose than all the others. It was to be felt so that um, Pharaoh would tell even his sons and sons' sons the mighty things of the Lord, thus teaching even future generations of the power of the strong hand of God over all the other Egyptian gods and goddesses. Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh with the same request, let my people go so that they may serve me, and pronounced the judgment of locusts if not heeded. This is the second wave of destruction to follow the hail, and whatever crops were left intact after that display were now completely consumed by the swarms of locusts that were unleashed from the sky. This wonder definitely affected their life source. By hitting them in their food supply, the Lord displayed the possibility of imminent death if a change of heart did not occur. Yet still, Pharaoh would not listen. And so the last one that we're going to really look at tonight is, uh, is darkness. So let's get that one. Um, somebody read Exodus 10, 21 through 29. And the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hands to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses, go and worship the Lord, he said, but leave your flocks and herds here. You may even take your little ones with you. No, Moses said, you must provide us with animals for sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. Our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals, and we won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more. And he would not let them go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted at Moses. I'm warning you, never come back here to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Very well, Moses replied. I will never see your face again. So Moses is not going to go before him again, right? So darkness, the ninth plague is interesting because it has even more of a supernatural slant to it. Again, it's only for the Egyptians and not the Israelites. Verse 21 tells us this darkness was a darkness uh, over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So this is not just physical darkness. It's a supernatural darkness. Um, this felt darkness seems to be a foreshadow of the plague to come, the death of the firstborn. It came in opposition to the main Egyptian god of the sun, Ra. Ra was seen only second to Pharaoh himself in Egypt's pantheon. In fact, this darkness was really a direct warning to Pharaoh himself, who the Egyptians considered the son of the sun. Do you get that? Okay. If he would not relent, something worse was to come. In fact, Pharaoh was supposed to be the embodiment of Ra, the sun god. This tangible darkness kept the Egyptian people from being able to leave their homes for three days. It was an overwhelming feeling of darkness, an absolute absence of all light. Ra only symbolized the physical sun, but God embodies everything. 
Ra may have been one of Egypt's chief gods, but he was not in control. The God of Israel was more powerful than Ra, Pharaoh, and all the other, other gods uh, put together. All right, we are not going to go into the death of the firstborn because that is so all in the face of Passover, okay? So we're going to put all that together, right? <laughs> it would have been too much to put all that separately. Yes, to be continued. So we're going to uh, wait to look at the 10th plague because it involves the enactment of the first Passover. Uh, we'll look at that extensively next time. Uh, God wants to prove to his people one ultimate time that he is their God and that they could trust in him. What is most fascinating about the Passover account is it will again show us Jesus as a principal hero of the entire story of the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I, I did find, so here is a video. Sometimes if you get like, because all of that is like, okay, that's a lot. So if you get a video and it kind of is a summation of everything, it kind of helps out some. Mm -hmm. um, and so I found this. What was the purpose of the Ten Plagues of Egypt? The Ten Plagues of Egypt, also known as the Ten Plagues, the Plagues of Egypt, or the Biblical Plagues, are described in Exodus 7-12. through The plagues were ten disasters sent upon Egypt by God to convince Pharaoh to free the Israelite slaves from the bondage and oppression they had endured in Egypt for 400 years. When God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, he promised to show his wonders as confirmation of Moses' authority. This confirmation was to serve at least two purposes, to show the Israelites that the God of their fathers was alive and worthy of their worship, and to show the Egyptians that their gods were nothing. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years, and in that time had lost faith in the God of their fathers. They believed he existed and worshipped him, but they doubted that he could or would break the yoke of their bondage. The Egyptians, like many pagan cultures, worshipped a wide variety of nature gods and attributed their powers to the natural phenomena they saw in the world around them. There was a god of the sun, of the river, of childbirth, of crops, etc. Events like the annual flooding of the Nile, which fertilized their croplands, were evidences of their gods' powers and goodwill. When Moses approached Pharaoh, demanding that he let the people go, Pharaoh responded by saying, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Thus began the challenge to show whose God was more powerful. The first plague, turning the Nile to blood, was a judgment against Apis, the god of the Nile, Isis, goddess of the Nile, and Canum, guardian of the Nile. The Nile was also believed to be the bloodstream of Osiris, who was reborn each year when the river flooded. The river, which formed the basis of daily life and the national economy, was devastated as millions of fish died in the river and the water was unusable. Pharaoh was told, by this you will know that I am the Lord. The second plague, bringing frogs from the Nile, was a judgment against Hecate, the frog-headed goddess of birth. Frogs were thought to be sacred and not to be killed. God had the frogs invade every part of the homes of the Egyptians. And when the frogs died, their stinking bodies were heaped up in offensive piles all throughout the land. The third plague, Nats, was a judgment on Set, the god of the desert. Unlike the previous plagues, the magicians were unable to duplicate this one and declared to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The fourth plague, Flies, was a judgment on Uachit, the fly god. 
In this plague, God clearly distinguished between the Israelites and the Egyptians, as no swarms of flies clogged the areas where the Israelites lived. The fifth plague, the death of livestock, was a judgment on the goddess Hathor and the god Apis, who were both depicted as cattle. As with the previous plague, God protected his people from the plague, while the cattle of the Egyptians died. God was steadily destroying the economy of Egypt, while showing his ability to protect and provide for those who obeyed him. Pharaoh even sent investigators to find out if the Israelites were suffering along with the Egyptians, but the result was a hardening of his heart against the Israelites. The sixth plague, boils, was a judgment against several gods over health and disease, Sekhmet, Sunan, and Isis. This time, the Bible says that the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Clearly, these religious leaders were powerless against the God of Israel. Before God sent the last three plagues, Pharaoh was given a special message from God. These plagues would be more severe than the others, and they were designed to convince Pharaoh and all the people that there is none like me in all the earth. Pharaoh was even told that he was placed in his position by God, so that God could show his power and declare his name through all the earth. As an example of his grace, God warned Pharaoh to gather whatever cattle and crops remained from the previous plagues and shelter them from the coming storm. Some of Pharaoh's servants heeded the warning, while others did not. The seventh plague, Hail, attacked Nut, the sky goddess, Osiris, the crop fertility god, and Set, the storm god. This hail was unlike any that had been seen before. It was accompanied by a fire which ran along the ground, and everything left out in the open was devastated by the hail of fire. Again, the children of Israel were miraculously protected, and no hail damaged anything in their lands. Before God brought the next plague, he told Moses that the Israelites would be able to tell their children of the things they had seen God do in Egypt and how it showed them God's power. The eighth plague, locusts, again focused on Nut, Osiris, and Set. The later crops, wheat and rye, which had survived the hail, were now devoured by swarms of locusts. There would be no harvest in Egypt that year. The ninth plague, darkness, was aimed at the sun god, Ram, who was symbolized by Pharaoh himself. For three days, the land of Egypt was smothered by unearthly darkness but the homes of the Israelites had light. The tenth and last plague, the death of the firstborn males, was a judgment on Isis, the protector of children. In this plague, God was teaching the Israelites a deep spiritual lesson that pointed to Christ. Unlike the other plagues, which the Israelites survived by virtue of their identity as God's people, this plague required an act of faith by them. God commanded each family to take an unblemished male lamb and kill it. The blood of the lamb was to be smeared on the top and sides of the doorways, and the lamb was to be roasted and eaten that night. Any family who did not follow God's instructions would suffer in the last plague. God described how he would send the destroyer through the land of Egypt, which orders to slay the firstborn male of every household, whether human or animal. The only protection was the blood of the lamb on the door. When the destroyer saw the blood, he would pass over that house and leave it untouched. This is where the term Passover comes from. Passover is a memorial of that night in ancient Egypt when God delivered his people from bondage. 1 Corinthians 5.7 teaches that Jesus became our Passover when he died to deliver us from the bondage of sin. While the Israelites found God's protection in their homes, every other home in the land of Egypt experienced God's wrath as their loved ones died. This grievous event caused Pharaoh to finally release the Israelites. By the time the Israelites left Egypt, they had a clear picture of God's power God's protection, and God's plan for them. For those who were willing to believe, they had convincing evidence that they served the true and living God. Sadly, many still fail to believe, 
which led to other trials and lessons by God. The result for the Egyptians and the other ancient people of the region was a dread of the God of Israel. Even after the tenth plague, Pharaoh once again hardened his heart and sent his chariots after the Israelites. When God opened a way through the Red Sea for the Israelites, then drowned all of Pharaoh's armies there, the power of Egypt was crushed, and the fear of God spread through the surrounding nations. This was the very purpose that God had declared at the beginning. We can still look back on these events today to confirm our faith in and our fear of this true and living God, the judge of all the earth. Got questions? The Bible has answers, and we'll help you find them. So anyway, that went over everything that we had went over tonight. Uh, they added more Egyptian gods, you know. Uh, the main point is that God was going in the face of their gods. I'm just going to comment how ironic is it that that last um, Egyptian god Isis was a protector of children? Yeah. And what's been happening in the Middle East right now? No, they are not. Not at all. Uh, it seems like life for Jesus and, and God was very involved in in a world. And uh and just, with Israel. Mainly with Israel. Yeah. You feel like uh he still He still is? I mean, uh, I guess what I mean is, yeah, you, um, we're reading this, you know, God is doing all this to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, you know, because they're cruel to Israel. And look at the cruelty going on now in, in Israel. And I just, I, I wonder if or why not God. Is he doing the same? Yeah. The, the thing is, is you can actually, there's actually a lot on YouTube of different things that are happening over there right now. All of the wars that have ever happened in Israel, there's major miracles that God would do on their behalf. Uh, and this one is no exception. He is, he is doing miraculous things over there. is a collection of people's uh, experience in their life with, with uh, God and, and Jesus. Why did they stop writing the Bible? Why didn't the story continue? I bet we know the answer to that, but you know, just the, yeah, I know, if you're I thinking think of maybe, I guess, of the, like the canon of Scripture, you know, um, Acts is written in such a way to let you know that it's, there's a continuation. It's going to continue. Um, so really, we're still living through Acts. But um, 
it, it eventually did, um, they did finish writing it. Um, I don't know a, really a good way to, you may do better with this, Jack. The only thing I would say is the people that wrote the New Testament either knew Jesus personally, okay, or they was, we'll call it a disciple of an apostle, someone like Mark, okay, who was not an apostle. So the people that God had to write the New Testament was apostles, okay? And you know that the further you got away from Jesus, the more it would probably become distorted. People get involved. But the people who wrote it, even Paul had a vision of the Lord. The Lord come to Paul. Okay? These people knew Jesus. This was not hearsay. This was not secondhand knowledge. And that's who God used to complete the canon, or the, what we call the New Testament. And I just believe it's on purpose. Uh, the entire New Testament was completed by 100 AD, which is 70 years after Jesus died. It was completed. And so, and the further we got along there, you know, the further, like I said, he could become distorted. I just think that's what it is. They walked, they talked. And here's the other thing. These people, and I call them people, these apostles knew Jesus so well. It's not like us today. And I just think this is, they eat with Jesus. They slept with Jesus. They built fires with Jesus. They went fishing with Jesus. They walked down roads with Jesus. I'm telling you, these apostles or disciples, whatever you want to call them, they knew Jesus in his character. So when they wrote, they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but they wrote again, and I'm not going to repeat myself, but they wrote, it was not secondhand knowledge. And if I wrote something today, I mean, or somebody wrote something 300 years, Never seen Jesus, never talked to Jesus. Great explanation. Yeah, that was actually really good. Yeah, never it was. Mind. Do you know, and one of the things, even going back from what he's saying, in Rome, um, because Christianity became the official religion of Rome uh, under Constantine, the problem with it is they started changing it. Christianity up until then had been more of um, almost like a Jewish offshoot, you know, because it wasn't until the Jerusalem Council that they had to, they didn't have to convert to Judaism to become a Christian. But the thing about it with Constantine, um, he made it where he was changing Jesus. He started making him look like the Roman gods. Uh, because he was trying to make it where the Romans would want to follow Jesus. Uh, so he couldn't look Jewish. And so started taking away the Jewish holidays and started putting in Roman pagan holidays, which is still what we celebrate, to be honest. Um, that's what we call Christmas and Easter, uh, were things that were adopted from Rome and their pagan holidays. Uh, in to get away from the Jewish holidays uh, because it was too Jewish. So it, it started happening, the, the changing of things, very, very early. Because uh, Constantine was what, probably, Rome fell in like 3, 
something uh, AD. So Constantine, I'm thinking he was like 100 and something AD, something like that. Um, so not long after the Bible was finished. So it had to be done before all of that could occur. And even with the scripture, look at how many different interpretations there are and how many. Do you know? Okay, so here's something that I have just learned myself, okay? Because I'm, you all know I'm learning Hebrew, you know, and a lot of us are learning it all together. Um, <laughs> do you know it is very difficult to translate it word for word? Very, very, very difficult because you can have two Hebrew words and it can be translated in probably seven different ways. And so to have a word-for-word translation is really not going to happen. Not really. So what is really happening with translations is they're taking a concept and they're taking what is written and putting it into context. You know, and so it's really more conceptual, um, and that's how they get the different translations. But um, <clears throat> it's very eye-opening when you look at it that way, and that is how it is. And China is in the process of rewriting the Bible. And I didn't know that. Hmm. If you want to watch some YouTube videos that's very good on how the canon of the Bible come up about. There's a guy named Dr. Michael Kruger, who is a brilliant man who is spending his life basically, and he's a, anyway, he has done a lot of research, a lot of stuff, but he does a lot of teaching on how we got the Bible that we got, the canon. I think he's a brilliant man. And he, and he talks so we can understand it. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think that I've just seen Thank you for listening to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Las Casas Community Church. Be sure to like, share, follow, and leave a review for our podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to answer those for you. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.